Let's, uh, let's read Acts chapter 5, a familiar story to many of us. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he, Ananias, kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and laid it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said to Ananias, How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Let's pray this morning as we uh, look at this um, rather sobering passage this morning uh, as we worship. Lord, uh, we do give you honor and glory to the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, the name at whose name someday every everyone will bow and everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, this morning we're so thankful for the love of God. And Lord, we're so thankful for the salvation that is found through your son, Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we have of eternal life with you. Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And we look around at the world events and we look around at the the circumstances of sometimes our lives, what's going on in our culture, we can get discouraged. But Lord, help us to focus on you this morning Thank you that we can come together and worship you and encourage one another. And so we pray your blessing on uh, these next few minutes. May the Spirit of God uh, speak to our hearts and lives today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We have been looking at the book of Acts, uh, and we're in uh, Acts chapter 5 this morning as we're kind of journeying through. And uh, Acts has, I think, 26 chapters in it, so we will probably be in uh, the book of Acts for a little while here. Uh, but this morning, we're going to look at this uh, passage that, uh, as we just read, it's, it's a little uh, discouraging and shocking uh, about Acts chapter 5 and what happened, but we're going to dive into that in just a little bit. So um, this message is entitled, The Pretenders, The Pretenders. Uh, when I was growing up as a young boy in Cleveland, Ohio, there was a local television show that, uh, unless you were in Cleveland, you, you'd not be familiar with this, but it was called Captain Penny, Captain Penny, and it was a kid's program, and uh, what attracted most of the kids to Captain Penny, uh, we only had three channels to watch back then, so uh, not a lot of choice, but he showed lots of cartoons, old cartoons in the morning. And so, um, lots of mornings, I would watch the Captain Penny show. 
Now, what struck me about Captain Penny, what I remembered, is he, he dressed up as like a railroad engineer, and he had some other uh, characters uh, that were part of his uh, show, like Captain Kangaroo. He was a great one. But here's how he finished his show uh, every every time, and this is back in the 50s and 60s. He would always close with this word, this phrase. He would say, you can fool some of the people all of the time. And all of the people some of the time. And then he would close by saying, but you can't fool mom. You can't fool mom. He was trying to drive home to the, to the kids that, hey, uh, you know, better not try to pull a fast one over on, on uh, mom. Because mom knows everything. Well, that's a cute little saying, but here's a more accurate way of putting it. You can fool some of the people all the time, and all the people some of the time, the only person you can't fool is God. And we're going to discover that in our text this morning, that you cannot fool God. And there was a husband and wife, and we'll look at this, by the name of Ananias and Sapphira, and they tried to pull a fast one, and they paid dearly for it. So let's remember the context here. We're in the early church. We're in the first century. Uh, Pentecost was not that far ago, and uh, 3,000 people come into the, the kingdom, and the church is growing, and good things are happening. Last week, we looked at uh, Acts 4, 32 through 37, and some marks of a great church. And uh, we found out there was no needy people among them. They were giving great, powerful declarations of the resurrection of Jesus. There was oneness. There was unity within the church. And guess what happens when God begins to work and do some great things? Someone else gets busy. You can count on it. When, when things are going well, when, when God is moving greatly, there's, there's an enemy. There's some opposition. And that's what we see happening here in, uh, in the text that then uh, Satan, Satan gets busy. And so we're going to look at uh, this uh, text here, and we're going to look, first of all, in our outline at the people, and we've already mentioned their names. Uh, Dr. Luke writes, Acts chapter 5, verse 1, and, and by the way, the chapter divisions are man-made. This is really a, a flow from Acts chapter 4, the end of the chapter, that closes with the fact that Barnabas sold a piece of property, laid it at the feet of the apostles, and they distributed it to those that had need. And so uh, the storyline then continues. Uh, now a man named Ananias, uh, the name means God is gracious, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. So Barnabas has sold a piece of property, and uh, they do the same thing. And uh, they were selling property because they were meeting the needs within that growing first century church. And so Ananias and Sapphira sell a piece of property, and Ananias and Sapphira were no doubt faithful members of the First Church of Jerusalem. Uh, they were probably there every Sunday. Uh, like many of you, and this is the way I am, um, they sat in the same spot. They were They were faithful, and they were there every Sunday, and just like Barnabas, they they sold a piece of property, and, and that was fine, but let's look at the plot, and I'm not talking about the plot of land, I'm talking about the scheme that they came up with, and here it is in verse 2. 
With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So here we see the, the inside story here. Now, there's nothing wrong with not giving it all to the church. Uh, the mistake that Ananias and Sapphira made is that they conspired together to act like they had given it all, when really they had kept part of it back for themselves. And so that was that. That was their scheme. That was their plot. And um, with his wife's full knowledge, they gave a portion of it and came back, kept back part of it for themselves. Now, what would motivate them to do that? Uh, maybe they saw the the praise that Barnabas got when he did that. Maybe that they wanted those same accolades. But really, the text kind of tells us where the, the genesis of that uh, deception took place. And it's found in the next uh, verse here, in verse 3. Then Peter said, and here it is, Peter's in, interrogation, verses 3 and 4. Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you've received for the land. Now, the text doesn't tell us, and I'm wondering as I read this story, was this done in a public setting? Uh, was this done in a, in a church service that they came forward and they gave the property and the, the money? Or was this done in a private setting? The text doesn't tell us. But Peter is interrogating them, and he asks them four questions, and then he makes a summary statement. Now, how did Peter know Yet they had this scheme. And again, sanctified speculation. The text doesn't tell us, but I think the Spirit of God must have revealed to Peter, one of the leaders of the church, what was going on here. And so Peter begins to ask Ananias these questions. Has, has Satan filled your heart? So the, the genesis of this scheme came from the evil one. Isn't it interesting that Proverbs says and warns us over and over again, guard your heart. For out of it is the wellspring of life. And now Ananias and Sapphira have allowed the evil one, Satan, the father of lies, to influence their lives and come up with this scheme. And so Peter asked question number two, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? And then here's his summary statement. You have not lied just to human beings, but you've lied to God. That's also a very strong statement on the deity of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Because earlier Peter says, uh, you've, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And then Peter says, you've lied to God, the third person of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, Peter drives home this point, and it's all through Scripture, that all sin is ultimately a sin against God. Yes, we sin against other people, but ultimately all sin is an offense to God. We see this all through Scripture. Genesis chapter 39, here's Joseph. He's in Potiphar's household, and Potiphar's wife is making advances at Joseph. Joseph was a, a young man, a very handsome man, and Potiphar's wife had his eye, her eye on Joseph and begins to try to seduce him. And here's the story of Joseph. He's, he responds to 
Potiphar's wife's advances, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Well, Joseph realized that, yes, uh, there's a, a horizontal aspect to sin, but every sin ultimately is an affront to God. David realized that in Psalm 51. He's uh, confessing his sin of uh, adultery with Bathsheba, and he writes two confession psalms, Psalm 32, Psalm 51, Psalm 51, 4. David says, against you and you only have I sinned. And that's a principle and a truth that not only do we need to learn, but we need to pass on to the next generation, and our kids and grandkids need to know that ultimately sin is an offense to a holy God. And so Peter's interrogation You've not just lied to human beings, but you have lied to God. Well, the rest of the story, and it seems um, in one sense a little bit shocking to us, is the permanent judgment. And as we read, um, here's what happened after Peter interrogates Ananias, asks him those four questions, says, hey, you've, you've not just lied to me and I lied to the church, but you've lied to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Verse 6, then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out and buried him. Now notice the, the timeline here. Three hours later, not knowing what happened to her husband, Sapphira comes in. And repeats the party line, repeats the scheme, repeats the plot. Three hours later, Ananias' wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Notice, Peter gave her an opportunity to come clean, didn't he? (laughs) Is, is, Is this what you got for the land? And she repeats the scheme. She repeats the party line. Yes, she said, this is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, he makes a prophetic statement. The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. Verse 10, one of the most sobering verses in the New Testament. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. The permanent judgment, and from our viewpoint, a rather severe judgment for sin and lying to the Holy Spirit, lying to God. And so we read a little postscript to this story that uh, took place in the early church, and it's found in verse 11. It says, great fear. That's the word, the word fear there, the Greek word phobos, trepidation, great fear. Great fear sees the whole church and all who heard these events. Great fear came upon the whole church. 
Now, there's some stories in the Old Testament that are a little bit similar to this and in God's direct judgment on, on people. Remember the story of, of Achan in the Old Testament and uh, the first battle of Jericho. They were to give all the spoils to God and Achan couldn't help but keep back some of those goods for himself and he buried them in his tent and they go to the next battle, AI, and they get defeated and, and now they know something's wrong and they're trying to find out what's going on and they find out as they bring all of the tribes before the leaders and then they narrow it down to the family and the, the clan and the family and the individual, it's, it's Achan. Achan defied God's command. What happened to Achan and his family who were probably in on it? They were stoned to death. I think of a fellow by the name of Uzzah in the Old Testament. And remember, they're moving the Ark of the Covenant. And there was a very specific way to do that. The Ark had uh, four rings on each corner. They were to put long poles through those rings, and uh, the priests were to carry it. Nobody was to touch the Ark. And here they are moving the Ark, but they have it on a cart of, and pulled by some oxen. And they're going over some rough territory, and it looks like the Ark might be slipping. And a fellow by the name of Uzzah reaches out and touches the Ark, and God strikes him dead because no one was to touch the Ark. Why in the world would, would God do such things? And I think the answer to that is he wants to teach those in the Old Testament days, and also in the New Testament, that sin is serious, and sin is an affront to a holy God. In one sense, that's why uh, the New Testament talks about um, church discipline, something that isn't often practiced in churches, but why in the world would, would God have this process of, of church discipline of someone who claims to be a Christian and continues to live a life of, of, of sin and affront to God? Because God wants his church to be holy, just like he is holy. And sin is serious. Part of the Lord's table found in 1 Corinthians 11 when Paul's given the instructions on the communion table and observing and remembering what Christ has done for us and the cross and the great price that was paid uh, there in 1 Corinthians 11 says, let a man examine himself. This is a good opportunity to take take inventory of our life and, and to allow the Spirit of God to show us perhaps uh, where we need our repentance and correction and forgiveness. Well, that's Acts chapter 5, uh, the first 11 verses, and it was a stark uh, day that the early church would probably never, ever forget the day that Ananias and Sapphira both were, were di- died because of their, their sin of uh, deception and lying and misleading. So let's think of some life lessons from uh, Acts chapter 5 this morning. From this text. And, and here's the first one. The first life lesson is this. God is omniscient. He sees all and he knows all. God not only knows what's happening, but he knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts. And he knew exactly what was in the minds of Ananias and Sapphira when they came up with this scheme. In fact, Psalm 139, uh, the psalmist writes these words, Where can I go from your spirit? 
Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your right hand will guide me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. What's the psalmist saying? You can't hide from God. Um, The prophet Jonah tried to run from God. God knew exactly where he was and exactly what he was doing. And he, he sent a storm because whom the Lord loves, he chastens. So if you are a true child of God and you are in unrepentant sin in your life, God will chasten you, discipline you. And if you're not experiencing that discipline, then maybe that's a, a, a inventory that maybe you're not a true child of God. He chastens and disciplines those that are his. Just like a parents are, are going to what discipline their children for because they love them and for their benefit, God does the same for us. And so God is omniscient; He sees all and He knows all. Here's Hebrews chapter four, um, verse thirteen. The author of Hebrews: Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. There's a day of accountability someday. Uh, Not for um, our our sins. Our sins have been paid for, but for believers in Jesus, that day of accountability is how we've used our time, talent, and treasure as stewards to advance his kingdom. And what the scriptures say is that everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of God because God is what? Omniscient. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul writes to the Corinthian believers. And he's writing about um, giving an account to God and, and, and about judgment. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. That's, that's when everything will be made known. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. And here's the scary part. And will expose the motives of the heart. So God's not only going to evaluate us on what we do, but God's going to evaluate us on why we do it. And I think we need to be careful and cautious about judging other people's motives. Sometimes we, 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 we judge their motives and ultimately only God knows the heart and God knows the motives. And so he will evaluate us not only on what we do, but the very motives and intents of our heart. There's several times in the, in the Gospels when we're reading through the Gospels and it says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said this to them. <laughs> he knew what they were thinking. And so we need to be reminded that God is omniscient. He sees all. And he knows all, and someday we have to give an account to him. Secondly, we need to remind her that um, this text reminds us that God is holy. God is holy, and therefore he can't overlook sin. If there's a primary attribute of God, and there are many attributes of God, God is love, God is grace, God is just, God is faithful, God is merciful... But in Scripture, the primary attribute of God, and it's mentioned over and over and over again, 
is the holiness of God. And we always need to keep that intention, don't we? Because yes, God is our friend, and um, we can be a friend of God, but on the other side of the spectrum is we always need to remember the holiness of God. That's all through Scripture. Let me just trace it with with us this morning just for a little bit and uh, think about uh, the giving of the law back in Exodus. Uh, Exodus, um, well, let's let's start out with uh, with the the burning bush experience of Moses. Remember Moses' call? He's eighty years old. He spent forty years in the in, in Egypt. He spent 40 years as a shepherd on the backside of the desert, uh, taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. Now he's 80 years old, and he sees a bush on fire, and it's not being consumed, and then a voice comes out of it, and it's the voice of God, and this is, this is Moses' call to ministry at the age of 80, by the way. And then what does God say to Moses? Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. Boy, do we need to be reminded of that as we come in and, and, and worship God, that God's primary attribute is holiness. When he gave the Ten Commandments, he says, don't let anybody get close to the mountain, because if you get close to the mountain and touch the mountain, you will die. So they... they they separated the people from the mountain and put barriers. Otherwise, you'll be in trouble. I think of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has a vision of God in Isaiah chapter 6. That it was in the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah had been their king for 52 years. And now King Uzziah dies and, and the nation's a little bit unsettled because their king of 52 years has died. And Isaiah has a vision and he sees the Lord. And in Isaiah 6, he's high and exalted and he's seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory that we sang about earlier. I think about the worship scenes in heaven that the Apostle John describes around the throne, Revelation uh, chapter 4. And again, uh, there's uh, angels surrounding the throne and it says in Revelation 4, 8, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is to come. We need to always be reminded of the holiness of God. Thirdly, uh, as we think about life lessons from uh, this passage here in Acts chapter 5, uh, we're reminded that sin always has consequences. Sin always has consequences. Um, we can be forgiven of our sin, but sin always has consequences. And sin always has a 
a ripple effect. And it has consequences on other people. And we need to be reminded that sin has consequences. Sometimes they're immediate. That was true with Ananias and Sapphira. (laughs) Their sin had an immediate consequence. And that's not usually the way it worked. But when it happened like that, there was great fear in, in, in the whole church. But sin always has consequences. It has vertical consequences in our relationship with God. The psalmist says, if I regard sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I'm wondering why it feels like maybe sometimes our prayers are just kind of bouncing off the ceiling. It may be because if, if we have unconfessed and known sin in our life, God wants us to deal with that before we come into his throne of grace. 1 Peter 3.7 talks about the husband and wife relationship and instructs husbands in their, their relationship with their wives. And it says, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Sin always has consequences. It's an affront to God. There's a horizontal impact and there is a vertical impact. Sin affects us. Sin affects our families. Sin affects the church. Sin affects the witness of the gospel. Sin always has consequences. Fourthly, and this one's not in your notes. I, I added one, so there'll be, there'll be five life lessons, but uh, here's, here's one you can, you can jot down this. Uh, we need to commit to be truth tellers. We need to commit to be truth tellers. Again, this is all through scripture, isn't it? It's, it's in the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Don't lie. Proverbs 6, there are, in chapter 6, there are seven sins that God hates. A lying tongue and a false witness are two of the seven. Book of Ephesians tells us to speak the truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4, when it talks about the, the change that needs to come into our life when we receive Christ as our Savior, we're to put off the old man and put off, put on the new man, and then he lays that out for us. Therefore, each of you must put off what? Falsehood. Stop lying and speak truthful to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Lying and dishonesty and deception is a huge deal. And it's an affront to God. And boy, do we need to examine that in our own life, but do we need to drive that home into the lives of our kids and our grandkids? And we need to teach them and, and, and model, you must always, always be a truth teller. You must always tell the truth. When we tell the truth, we're operating in God's kingdom. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. When we lie and deceive, we are operating in the realm of the evil one. John 8, 44, he's the father of lies. And every time Satan opens his mouth in the scripture, he's he's lying. (laughs) He's deceiving. He's called the great deceiver in, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. And so we need to examine our lives and make sure that our lives are lives of integrity. And we're not deceiving. We're not lying. 
Why do we? Why do we lie? Why do we tend to um, lie and exaggerate? Um, and I think a lot of it is, is self-protection. Um, we're, we're trying to protect ourselves from something or some consequence. It actually comes out of pride. Um, but God wants us to be truth-tellers. Well, there's a fifth um, point here as we think about life lessons from Acts chapter 5. And it's this, we'll, we'll close with the good news here. The good news is this, that the cross is God's remedy for sin. That the cross is God's remedy for sin. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore now there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That is really, really good news. Because when we sin, and we all are, are born sinners... Um, we're on death row. We're under God's condemnation. And when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Christ gets put in our account because of what Jesus has done. And now there's no condemnation. God sees us just as if we'd never sinned. He sees us as holy and righteous. Not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ that gets imputed to our account. The cross is God's remedy for sin. Not just to get into heaven. That's, that's really, really good news. But the cross is God's remedy for sin for our sanctification and for living our daily life. I'm so grateful that God normally doesn't give immediate results and judgment on our sin like he did for Ananias and Sapphira, because um, probably none of us would be here this morning. But not only has God um, crossed the remedy for uh, our justification and our sin and our payment that's been made, but it also gives us a victory in living the Christian life. And uh, we can have victory not only over the penalty of sin, but Romans 6 tells us we can have victory over what the power of sin in our life. And so God's, uh, God's remedy for sin is, is the cross, and that's not just our entrance ticket to heaven, but that gives us the, the power to live a victorious Christian life and to have victory over sin to put off the old way and put on the new man, to realize that we have the, what, the power of the Holy Spirit in our life to give us the power and victory to live a life uh, that is pleasing to God. And so the cross is God's way, God's remedy for sin in our life. And so God knows everything sees everything. He knows our motives. He knows our thoughts. He knows the words before we even speak them. We need to remember that God's a holy God. Moses, take off your shoes because this is, this is holy ground. We need to be reminded that sin always, always has consequences. And therefore, we need to be truth tellers that builds what? Integrity into our life. And then we need to be reminded that the remedy for sin is the cross. 
I love Psalm 139, uh, this psalm that talks about the fact that God is uh, omniscient and God is omnipotent and God is omnipresent. And at the end of Psalm 39, uh, the psalmist um, concludes Psalm 139 with a prayer. He starts out Psalm 139 writing, this is David, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. And then he concludes Psalm 139 with a prayer. And I think it's a great prayer that we can all um, make this morning as we, as we close. Here's his prayer. Search me, God, and know my heart, and test me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. What's the psalmist saying? God, would you, would you turn your searchlight the searchlight of your Holy Spirit into my heart, into my life. And would you show me where I've gone astray? Would you show me where I need to make a correction? Would you show me where I need to confess and repent and walk in the way everlasting? Let's, let's pray this morning, shall we? Lord, this morning we acknowledge that you are a holy God. And so, Lord, this morning we humbly come into the presence to a holy God only through the blood of Jesus. And through the blood of Jesus, the author of Hebrews says, we can boldly come before the throne of grace. Lord, I pray that this morning as we just pause to take some inventory and Look into our lives as the Spirit of God speaks to us. Lord, that if there's any known sin, and Lord, we like to categorize the big sins, the little sins, but Lord, if there's any known sin, Lord, thank you for that wonderful promise and verse from 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. That if we confess our sin, homo legeo, agree with you that this is sin, if we confess our sin, that you are faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, we thank you for the, the cleansing power that we've sung about earlier today. Lord, uh, help us to realize that you not only know um, what we do, but you know the motives of our hearts. And so, Lord, um, speak to us today. Thank you that we can communicate with you 24-7, that you never sleep, you never slumber, and that you're always there to be our intercessor and our faithful high priest. So we thank you for that. We praise you for that. Lord, would you purify our lives, purify the church. Lord, your word says, be holy because I am holy. And Lord, um, thank you for your spirit that convicts us of sin. Thank you for the forgiveness that's available through Jesus. And we will give you the praise in his name. Amen.